Hey friends, you are listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. To learn more about Grace Story and how you can get plugged into our community, visit gracestory.church. The rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, that is, all the region of Argob, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. All that portion of Bashan is called the land of the Rephaim. Jahar the, Mes- the, the Manassite took all the region of Argob, that is Bashan, as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Makathites, and called the villages after his own name, Havath Jair, as is to this day. To Makir I gave Gilead, and, the, and to the Reubenites and to the Gadites I gave the territory from Gilead as far as the valley of Arnon, with the middle of the valley as its border, as far over as the river Jabbok, the border of the Ammonites. The Arabah also with the Jordan as the border from Chinnereth as far as the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, under the slopes of Pisgah on the east. And I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All your men of valor shall cross over armed before your brothers, the people of Israel. Only your wives and your little ones and your livestock, I know that you have much, I know that you have much livestock, shall remain in the cities that I have given you, until the Lord gives you, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as to you, and they also occupy the land that the Lord your God gives them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return, to, return to his possession which I have given you, and I commanded Joshua at that time. Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms in which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord, God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works, who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good, that good hill country in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan." But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of this people, and he shall put them in the possession of the land that you shall see. So we remained in the valley opposite of Beth Peor. This is the word of the Lord. All right, that's Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 12 through 29. Deuteronomy 3, verses 12 through 29. What we're going to look at in this passage is how, how we can live life with a covenant worldview. How can we live our lives, especially in community, with a covenant worldview? And I've got a question. How many of you have been to Holiday World? Any of you been to Holiday World? It's a theme park in southern Indiana. And ha- so those of you who have been to Holiday World, how many of you have also been to Kings Island? Anybody been to Kings Island or most theme parks in general? So it's really interesting what happens at Holiday World compared to what happens at Kings Island. At Kings Island, check this out. The lines are like three, four hours long. It's crazy. 
And when you're standing in line, if you happen to have forgotten to hydrate before you get in line, what you're going to find is a vending machine in line. And in that vending machine, drinks are going to cost like 10 times more than they would ordinarily cost. So you're paying maybe 10, 12 bucks for a Gatorade in the line at Kings Island while you wait, right? Crazy. It's almost like they just don't want you to buy the stuff in the vending machine. But if you go to Holiday World, on the other hand, drinks are absolutely free. Now, of course, there's drinks you can buy too, but there are drinks being dispensed like Coke and all that stuff absolutely free all day, every day at Holiday World. They got it all. And then sunscreen is also absolutely free. And here's how that works. Because it's free you know that you can go and have as much as you need. You know that you can go and take as much as you want. But at Kings Island, because everything is super expensive, you feel like you have to be very careful about getting hydrated at the right times, lest you should find yourself in a world of hurt in the middle of the line, right? So I draw that contrast to try to create space for the concept of living in a covenant worldview, living with a covenant worldview. Because unlike a holiday world, a covenant worldview doesn't allow us to just run around thinking only of ourselves and our appetites. A covenant worldview doesn't allow us to just go and take whatever we want whenever we want. And unlike King's Island, a covenant worldview doesn't prohibit us from having what we need. It doesn't give us inhibitions about seeking what we need and asking for what we need and trying to acquire what we need. So it's different from both of those. But within a covenant world, what we're going to find is that we're going to be marked by trust and by love and by faith. And we're going to be trust by a clear investment, not just in ourselves, but also in the entire community, both now and into the future. So I want to look at this passage, see what we can learn about life with a covenant worldview. And the first thing I want us to see is that covenant means trusting God's allocation. Trusting God's allocation. Look at verses 12 through 17. When we took possession of this land at that time, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites, the territory beginning at a roer, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and half the hill country of Gilead with its cities. And Moses goes on here in these few verses to tell us who he gave what, right? But what's happening here is not just Moses allocating these resources, but remember, Moses is received, perceived, understood to be the very mouthpiece of God himself. Moses speaks as God's representative. And so as the people are listening to this, the idea is that they're going to understand what Moses says as the very will of God for them. That they're going to have the land allocated exactly the way God wants the land allocated. And our task inside the covenant community is to look at what God has allocated to us to our neighbors, to our brothers and sisters in the church, and to trust that he knows what he's doing in his allocation of resources and goods. We have to trust God's allocation. I remember we were all, my family and I, eating Italian food one night, and the server brought around 
several of us ordered lasagna. It was like six of us ordered lasagna. And the server brought around lasagna and handed out everybody's lasagna, and all of them looked beautiful. And then he handed me my lasagna, and it was lopsided. It had like fallen apart. It was all jacked up. It didn't even look like lasagna anymore. And I, I didn't like it. I, I, I would have liked to have had a straight lasagna that it still looks like a lasagna. And I spoke up for myself and my whole family booed me at the table and heckled me. They still heckle me to this day. It's, it's been years since it happened. And here's the thing, like in life, we're all going to be handed some lopsided lasagna from time to time. Are you with me? It's just going to look like that. We're going to look at the way life goes. And even the people we love are often going to have something go their way that we're like, man, I love you, but uh, I sure do wish that had happened to me instead of you. We're going to be tempted that way. And it's only by God's grace, only by the power of the Holy Spirit, and only by fully understanding and immersing ourselves in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we're going to be able to trust God's allocation of resources. Because here's what we know. God on the cross through Jesus Christ has proven that he's altogether good and altogether wise. He's proven that. And if this God is altogether good and altogether wise, as we see on the cross, then if God is altogether powerful, as we see in Christ's resurrection, then we can know that he's working for our good in his allocation of resources. He's always doing what's best for us. And whenever God acts in our lives, we can trust, as hard as it is sometimes, that if we knew what God knows, we would want what God does. If we knew what God knows, we would want what God does. He's always acting in our very best interest. And so covenant means that we trust that it also means that what's best for you is not what's best for you. Let me say that one more time. Covenant means that what's best for you is not what's best for you. There's a movie called uh, Beautiful Mind. I think you guys are all old enough to have seen it, right? I'm not that much older than y'all. Beautiful Mind has this scene in it where they're kind of... The, the main character of Beautiful Mind is a mathematician named Nash, right? And there's something called the Nash Equilibrium that comes up in the movie. And all these guys are kind of staring at the same woman in a bar. And they're all kind of hoping that she'll go out with them. And there's this theory by an economist named Adam Smith that everything works out best if everyone does what is best for himself. So if you look out for your own interest, then in the end, that's what's best for the whole group. It's what's best for everybody. If you just look out for your own interest. And while they're sitting there all desiring to go out with the same woman, Nash has this light bulb go off in his head. And he says, Adam Smith needs revising. Adam Smith needs revising. And he revises it this way. He says that what's best is if everyone does what's best for himself and what's best for the group. That's what's best. And he revises this old and trusted economic principle right there in the moment. And what happens here in verses 18 through 20 is something really similar. Look, he says, I commanded you at that time, saying, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All your men of valor shall cross over armed before your brothers, the people of Israel. Now he's speaking specifically here 
to the tribes of Gad and Reuben. Gad and Reuben. And what's happened, this is recorded in Numbers 32, is that Gad and Reuben, when they got to the near side of the Jordan, saw that it was a good land, and they said, hey, look, what if we just settle here, and then you guys go over and you can have the rest? We'll take this land because this is a land that's really good for herds. We're herdsmen. We're raising livestock. And this is perfect for us. You guys go into the more specifically named promised land. And we'll just be happy right here to set up camp. This will be our spot. Well, Moses is not necessarily into it at first. He says, hey, listen, it's not fair for everybody else to go fight. And you guys just to hang out here with your spouses and your children and your livestock we got to talk about this. And the deal they come up with is that they will only build a fencing for their livestock and a fortified area for their families. They'll leave them there, and then they'll go and fight in the front lines for Israel as they go into battle. And so what's happening here is really important because Moses is, first of all, making it clear, look, we need to be thinking not for ourselves only, but also for everyone else. And if you have your mind sort of drenched with Scripture, you should immediately be thinking of a New Testament passage. Anybody thinking of it right now? Philippians, right? Chapter 2, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, right? It's the same principle playing out in the New Testament where, look, what's best for you, Reuben and Gad, is not what's best for you. What's best for you instead is what's best for our entire nation because we exist in community we exist in covenant and so it's no longer to your advantage and it's no longer right to only think about what you want but instead we as a community need to be thinking what's best for everyone we need to think not only about ourselves but also about other people so in other words when you see all the land And you think this land would be good for you. Well, you need to think also, would it be good for this other tribe or this other tribe or this other tribe? You think, what would be good for everyone? What would be best for each individual? What would be best for our community as a whole? Which piece is most advantageous to the entire community for me to have, right? That's what it looks like to live in covenant. That we're thinking about each other in our decisions about ourselves, That's what it means to live in a covenant community. And that's exactly what Moses wants them to think about. That's what Moses thinks about because Moses in his response says, okay, look, only your wives in verse 19, your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the cities that I have given you because, look at what he says, I know that you have much livestock. So it makes sense to Moses. Okay, this makes sense. You guys need a nice area for raising livestock. This is a nice area for raising livestock. Let's do this. You guys can have this land, but you have to go into battle because that's what's best for everyone. That's what's best for everyone. You know, there's a story in the story of Abraham where as Abraham and Lot are journeying, they come to a place to set up camp and Lot is given the opportunity to choose his spot first. And what does he do? He gobbles up the very biggest fattest nicest most luxurious land he claims it for his own immediately rather than yielding to what Abraham may need or desire and you could almost see this in the people of Gad and Reuben that maybe their eyes are big maybe they're desiring something that is 
for them. They see it and they immediately, hey, mine, 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 right? This is raising their hand. I want to be the one who gets that, laying claim to it. Dibs, licking the biscuit, right? They want what they want. And are they thinking about others or are they only thinking about themselves? And man, I fear that in community, it's easy for us to have that same attitude. It's easy for us to look to our own interests. It's easy for us to make decisions on the basis of what's best for us only without thinking about what's best for all. And in covenant community, we're called upon to think about what's best for all. Because, check this out, what's best for all is what's best for you. Because we flourish in community. Because we flourish in community. So covenant means trusting God's allocation. It means what's best for you is not what's best for you. Covenant also means that God fights our battles. God fights our battles. Look at verses 21 and 22. And I commanded Joshua at that time, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. Remember, these are Og and Sihon, right? The, the two giant kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing, you shall not fear them. For it is the Lord your God who fights for you. And I think there's three principles here that we need to grab hold of that Moses shares about God's fighting our battles. The first thing is we need to remember God's help in times past. We need to remember God's help in times past. And I commanded Joshua at the time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done. In other words, he's telling Joshua, look, you've seen God work in the past. You need to remember that. You need to hold on to that. You need to recall that intentionally to mind in this season when you're going to be in leadership. So we need to remember all that God has done for us in the past. And look, this means in our own lives. It means in the lives of others. And it means in God's recorded work in Scripture. So if you can't think of your own life, if you can't think of anything in your friend's life, open the Bible and look at what God has done. Remember that, hold on to that, and trust that God is fighting your battles as well. Remember his help in time past. Then know that he is still at work. So you remember it, but then you got to go beyond that. You have to also know, trust, believe that God is still at work. It's not just stuff that's recorded for us to ooh and ah at, but it's something for us to hold on to and trust in now, right now. Look at verse 21. It says, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to those two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. In other words, everything you've seen God done, He's going to keep on doing. Everything you've seen God accomplish, He's going to keep on accomplishing. All the battles you've seen God win, He's going to keep on Winning. So God is continuing to work and we have to trust that. We have to hold on to the truth that God has not ceased to work on our behalf. And then finally, we've got to allow God's presence to dispel our fear. Allow God's presence to dispel our fear. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. So Moses is given the command, don't be afraid, Joshua. You mustn't be afraid. But then he gives him the grounding for that. For the Lord your God 
fights for you. What's he saying? Well, if the Lord fights for you, there's no need to fear. The Lord is fighting for you. Therefore, don't be afraid, right? He's saying that God's fighting makes him safe. God's fighting ensures that everything's going to be okay. So we have to trust. We have to trust that God is working and allow his presence to dispel our fear. But here's the thing. It's his presence that dispels our fear. His, his presence, not a cognitive assent to the proposition that God exists. That's not going to do it for you. Cognitive assent to the proposition that God exists will not free you from fear. It's not going to do it. God's presence, God's real and abiding presence will do that. Well, how can we experience God's presence? How can we put ourselves in position to experience God's presence? Well, the first thing we can do is what you guys are doing right now. We can come together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. God has promised to be present in every moment when we're together. So we can enjoy, we can experience God's presence when we're together. And check this out. It's, it's the fact that we're together. It's the fact that we're together that guarantees God's presence. If we're gathered in his name, he's going to be here. It's not if we're gathered in his name and we have a particularly special time of worship. It's not if we're gathered in his name and the pastor does a good job preaching. It's not if we're gathered in his name and we happen to enjoy ourselves. No, it's the fact that we're gathered in his name means God is present. We can experience his presence. Right now, we are experiencing his presence. It doesn't matter what you feel like. It's a reality. It's a firm and fixed reality that Jesus has promised us. Are you with me? So we gotta, here's what we got to do then. We have to stir up our hearts in response to revealed truth. Jesus said it, so it's true. So now we stir up our hearts in response to that truth. And when we do that, now we can have that experience that we want. Wow, Jesus is with us right now. I'm going to stir up my heart. Man, celebrate, crazy, stingy heart. Get up on your feet, heart. Let, let's enjoy God's presence. Stir up your affections. Take responsibility for your affections. Man, that's how we experience and enjoy God's presence. So we do that in community. We do it in God's word. Man, there's times in the morning when I'm reading the Bible and it's like, I don't know, I, I read five Psalms and a proverb every single day and then whatever else happens to be on the reading list, I add into that, right? Well, there'll be times when I'll sit down to read and next thing I know I'm done reading and I can't remember a single word of it. My eyes just like did it like a typewriter, you know, just moving across the page. I'm like, well, I got to go back and read it again, you know, or sometimes I use up all my time and I did that. It's like, I can't read it again, right? So we have to, we have to stir up our hearts, stir up our affections in that context as well. If you want to enjoy God's presence, rather than just know that you experience, because when you're in God's word, I promise you, God is present with you in his word. He's there. But the question of whether we'll experience it is one of responsibility. We have to stir up our affections in response to God's word. Sometimes what we see in God's word is not the answer to the question we had in our mind. I mean, you know, like if it's the 20th of the month, I'm reading Psalms 96 through 100. 
So that may or may not align with whatever thing I'm going through in that moment. It may or may not align with the question that I have or the feelings that I bring into it. But that it's my responsibility now to stir up my affections in response to revealed truth. And when I do that, we will find that the Holy Spirit helps us along the way. And that's how we live a spirit-filled life that we can actually point to and experience as spirit-filled. Because we respond to God's word with affirmative and, and submissive action. So God fights our battles and we allow his presence now to dispel our fears. And our fears begin to melt away when, when we give ourselves to stirring up our affection in response to what God has revealed about himself. The next thing covenant means is that it means we invest in the next generation. Covenant means we invest in the next generation. Verse 23, and I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, O Lord God, you've only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes. For you shall not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua, charge Joshua, and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So we remain in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Covenant means we invest in the next generation. And man, there are so many ways we can fail to do this. So many ways that we can fail to invest in the next generation. Look, we can, we can look around and we can see in many cases that people are jealous of the rising generation. And they look at the years that they have left. They look at the long life that they have in front of them and they're simply jealous. And, and they, they want what they have. And because of that, they begin to have a bitter heart. It's easy to be jealous. It's easy to be jealous of people who are in the prime of their strength, who are in the prime of their life, who have not lost a step on the basketball court, who still have their full vertical, right, who can still do all the things they could ever do, who are not just um, as good once as they ever were, but they're as good as they ever were, right? It's easy for us to be jealous of that. Whatever age we are, there's always somebody a little bit younger, so covenant means that we don't experience that. And when we do, we repent of it and we actually invest in the next generation. We see their glory as our good, right? We invest in the next generation. Then sometimes we might be prone to a spirit of competition between generations. We might be prone to want to compete with those who are younger than us. 
We might be prone to want to show them who's boss, to show them who's really strong, or who's really got it together, or who's really bright, or who's really quick. We want to be competitive with them. Man, we just have to put that aside, and we have to invest in them and see again their glory as our good. It's our mission. We may have a dismissive attitude toward the rising generation. Or we may have a presumptuous attitude. We may believe that we know better because we're older. We may dismiss their opinions. We may dismiss their input. We may dismiss them generally and hold ourselves in greater esteem just because we're older. And we shouldn't do that. Instead, we should invest and we should hope for their good because in their good, we'll find our good as well. There's a book by Wendell Berry called Jaber Crow. And Jaber has a lot of admiration for a young girl who comes into his barbershop from time to time. Her name is Maddie Keith. And he thinks she's just a wonderful young lady. And he begins to see this young man named Troy Chatham courting her, trying to win her attention. And Jaber says this quote that I think is so poignant. He says, it is a serious fault in a man to dislike a boy. It is a serious fault in a man to dislike a boy. He says, but I always disliked Troy Chatham from the moment that I met him. I think he's exactly right. It is a serious fault in a man to dislike a boy. And the same is true. It's a serious fault in a woman to dislike a girl. Here's the reason why. In covenant, this is what we should all want for our kids, is that all of our children would grow up in full confidence that everyone in this community looks upon them with full grace and our best hope. Let me say that again. In covenant community, all of our children should be able to expect They should be able to have full confidence that everyone in this community looks upon them with full grace and our best hope. In other words, if one of our kids is struggling, they should know without a doubt that everyone in this community thinks well of them, is rooting for them, and is is there for them. And hoping for their greatest good in everything that they go through, everything that they face. No child should have to wonder if the people in their church love them. No child should have to wonder if the people in their church have a gracious disposition toward them. And here's the deal. They shouldn't have to wonder if anyone in our church likes them. But it should be evident not only that we love our brothers and sisters' children, but we we like them, we rejoice in them. And that we hold them in full grace and our highest hope. Man, that's just, I spent some time with the Winkler's kids this morning. And I was just, just thinking about the beauty of having the opportunity to befriend our brothers and sisters in Christ's children. Isn't that a beautiful thing? To be able to befriend the children of our brothers and sisters. And Man, it, it's so crucial that we would do that, that we would befriend the children of our brothers and sisters because that's the only way we're going to be able to invest in them. 
All the studies show that it's not even the quality of mentors that makes a difference in terms of a lasting faith. You know what it is? It's the number of mentors, right? That, that there would be a number of them. And there's no particular number. It's not going to be 100, but that there would be more than just a mom and a dad who share the faith that's being taught at home. That they would have a number of people at church that they love and trust. Watch this, that they trust to love them. Right? It's not enough that they love and trust us. They have to trust us to love them. And they have to be able to perceive that we like them, that we enjoy them. Right? They have to be able to perceive that we look upon them with grace and that we, we hope our best hopes for them. And that's my commitment to all of you. Like I, I, it's my commitment to like your kids. It's my commitment to enjoy your kids. It's my commitment to hold them in grace and to hope for them my highest hope. And I want you guys to make that commitment to each other as well. And throw me in there too. You know, commit that to me, right? All of our kids. Um, and if we do that, we're going to take great strides toward raising kids who follow Jesus for a lifetime. And that's, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? If we want to build a church that's going to be here for our children's grandchildren, we need our children to be here, right? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us this picture of Moses being called to invest in Joshua, giving us this picture of Israel living together as a covenant community. And I pray that you would use it to shape us, to form us, to help us to pursue that with our life together. Thank you for listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. For more resources and information on our church, visit gracestory.church.